The other day I asked you as we were going into the show, I said, are we gonna? Are we planning on updating our Open anytime soon? And you said, yeah, yeah, it's in the works. We haven't gotten to it yet. And then it dawned on me today, just now, as I was listening to the Open, part of the reason we haven't updated it is what do you update it with? Certainly from this season, right? Because we've got, you know, uh, DeVito on in relief wins it for the Or Orange. even last year, what do you update right. it with? You know, I had this cheer trying to get somebody to make some noise. It's sad. Sickening, really. They have held their own again, and now they're having fun. Gerard, another perfect lob to Sidibe. Just be Alabama. Just be one of the five most tradition-rich programs in the history of the sport with the greatest coach ever. Awesome. I see Buddy throw it up. Oh, okay. Okay, Buddy. Somehow they coached me into doing this. To the rim for Gurrier. Still at his feet. He's going to go all the way. It's a touchdown. Taj Harris, Culpepper found him with a beauty. 69 yards. Nice. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Well done, Seth. That Ask was Jordan. We're seeing you. That was Jordan. Well Give done, Jordan. Jordan. The credit. I love it. Good stuff. What does that say about the football team that it's a Rex Culpepper touchdown that we've got in the open? But I'll take it. 315-437-7644 is the numbers. We welcome you to a Tuesday edition of Orange Nation. Stephen Fonte, Seth Goldberg with you up until 2 o'clock. Just one guest lined up for you today. We've got SU assistant coach Alan Griffin set to join us at 1230. And Seth, they will be playing basketball inside the Carrier Dome this Friday. The university announcing yesterday that uh, the game with Bryant will go on as planned three Friday Inside the Carrier Dome, no further positive tests. Aside from Coach Bayheim, aside from that one player uh, that tested positive last week, the team's been all good since then, and we're going to see basketball inside the Dome this Friday. Hey, look, it's great news, and and it was nothing, you know, it was nothing assured, right? I mean, there was no guarantee that this game was going to happen, Steve, not only because of the positive test eight days ago, nine days ago, and obviously that was a big reason. You've, you've got to be concerned uh, about the state of your program and whether you'll be able to play 12 days later, 11 days later, whatever the, the math ends up being. You have to be concerned if, if you're going to be able to play that game. But also, Steve, it, it came on the heels yesterday of the governor announcing that most of Syracuse, a lot of Syracuse, is, is, is in an orange zone. And... That includes the campus, from from what I can figure out based on the maps, um, you know, and and that would presumably include the dome. And uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that basketball games are gatherings of of more than ten people. So I think that you know, for a lot of reasons, it's nice to see that we're going to get basketball. And you know, it's it's something that um, it's I know we've talked about it. It's been like a weird thing to balance, but. The excitement is there. Like we were ready for there to be basketball, and to hear that there's going to be basketball, I'm sure to a lot of people is is kind of a, a relaxing, nice thing to hear. Yeah, and listen for those of us that talk sports for a living and and play sports and watch sports. Uh, good news for us, you know, you just laid it all out that as as parts of Central New York are in an orange zone now. Um, I, I'd imagine that this decision doesn't sit all that well with small business owners that may be shutting down and, and maybe shutting down for good. Um, you know, it is interesting timing given the fact that, that things have been ratcheted up here in this community and, and there are more restrictions in place. Um, and yet they're going to play a college basketball game on Friday, but you're right. It is, 
for those of us that talk sports and watch sports and love sports, good news for us. Um, you do certainly feel bad, uh, obviously, for all those small business owners that have been uh, affected and continue to be affected by this pandemic. Um, from a basketball perspective, I think we're going to learn a little bit more today from John Wildhack. He's set to address the local media at 2 o'clock to talk about procedures and protocols moving forward. I assume he's going to talk about the men's basketball team uh, which is currently on pause. I would imagine he's going to talk about when that pause is lifted. If I had to guess, I would say that today is probably the day, but uh, that's just, again, no inside information. That's just a, a guess on my part that they would, if they're going to play Friday, it stands to reason that they're going to start practicing again uh, Tuesday, certainly by Wednesday, I would think. So we should know more uh, coming up here in a couple of hours from John Wildhack, but uh, it is good news, Seth, that, that we've got basketball back in Central New York, and for a lot of people, uh, this helps them get through the winter, even, even in a good winter, even in normal times, uh, Syracuse basketball and college basketball you know, helps a lot of us get through the winter. I was going to say, you know, it'll help more so this year. You know, it's it's such a strange thing to say. And um, again, we've talked about this. We've talked about the the strange position that I feel like we're all in of, uh, you know, global pandemics, obviously health risks. Um, you know, we saw the story. You saw the story from the Bills yesterday. Their their tight end is, is not going to play the rest of the season because he got the heart. He ended up with a heart condition due to COVID. So, like, there are risks for all of these people. And at the same time, like, sports is kind of this nice, reassuring thing during a weird time that, you know, you can kind of lean on and say, all right, at least we have that. You know, at, at least we see this. At least we get to see some something normal. And I think that that's certainly going to be the case on Friday. I think that we, uh, you know, maybe we can hear some of the the details from Alan Griffin when we talk to him in a little bit. But I'm curious to hear, you know, I, I was going to ask Griff, like, how many days do you think you need of practice? You know, because it's not just this game. Um, let's let's assume at some point, and I don't think it's an unfair assumption, let's assume that this happens again, right? Because I think we've seen from uh, basketball programs all over the country, um, you're going to have problems throughout the whole year. So if you have to go on pause again at some point during the season, how long do you need to then ramp up afterwards? And I think that it's an interesting question to ask. And here in Syracuse, we'll just know the answer earlier than some people will around the country. Yeah, just looking at the the chat on uh, Q Sports Talk on Twitch, uh, Mark Frank fifty three asks us, uh, "Do we know who the player is?" Um, you know, and he says, "Big difference between you know whether it's Joe Girard or, or Robert Braswell." We don't know who the player is. Uh, they have not released that, and I don't expect them to release it. I don't think we will know unless one of the players slips up in an interview or something. I don't think we're going to know on purpose uh, who the player is that that tested positive. I think that they um, would now, leave it, it up be, to the kid. Yeah. Leave it up to the kid yeah. to to say that he tested positive. But if you leave it up to the kid, I mean, if you're if you're the university is going to advise the kid, to, oh, of course. You know, why would you say anything? Why you know? Again, it's just like coaches that don't like to talk about injuries. This is essentially an injury. You don't want the opponent to know, you know, who's at less than a hundred percent or who who's still working on trying to get their win back or whatever the case may be. So I can't imagine that you know if you leave this up to the kids, you leave this up to the coaches, you leave this up to the university for that matter. Um, they they're they're not going to say. So I don't think we'll know. Uh, again, unless someone slips or, you know, word spreads. But um, I don't think they're going to come out and announce that so-and-so uh, had COVID. So, you know, I, I, I think that it's a great point you bring up. You know, we we discussed it the other day 
um, you know, talking to, with Eric Devendorf about how many days do you need? How much time does a Division One athlete need to ramp it back up? And by pausing all basketball-related activities, you know, they're obviously not practicing, but theoretically they weren't working out either because, you know, the, the guys were, were being quarantined to some degree through, through contact tracing and whatnot. So h- how much have they been working out? You know, is, is it an issue across the team? Um, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. And hopefully, as you said, we could get some answers from Alan Griffin, the coach and, and from John Wildhack, the athletic director coming up later today. Um, the good news is, is that they're not starting with Virginia this year. You know, you're not starting with a conference opponent. You're not starting with a team that's better than you. You're starting with a, a team that you are better than in Brian. And not to take anything away from Brian, they had a great season last year. They've got a couple of local kids, Lucas Sutherland, Charles Pride. This is not a, a pushover by any means. Uh, but it's a team that Syracuse should go out and 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 beat uh, in the opener, even if you know they haven't had a, a full week of, of practice time to get ready for it. Oh, there's no question about it. They they absolutely should be able to to beat this team. Uh, you're an ACC team, and they're a, a Northeast Conference team. You know, this is a team that you should be able to go out and beat. And to your point, you're not starting out with uh, Virginia. You're not starting out with one of these these big multi-team events. Uh, you know, like the the Mohegan Sun events where, you know, uh, Arizona State's probably going to play Villanova on Saturday. Like, you're not starting with that. You're starting with an, a non-conference easy game that, you know, you should be able to go and win and, and win rather easily in the Dome. And I, I think that that is, uh, that is an important distinction. You know, when you're working your way back from COVID, when you're working your way back from a, a pause in activities, when you might not have three weeks of practice leading up to it, it's important that you start with a team that's maybe a little easier and that you can, you know, beat even if you're not on your A game. Think about that sentence you just said, Seth. Arizona State will probably play Villanova on Saturday. Arizona State is going to this event not 100% sure who they're going to play. Well, no, that's, other teams that, it's a, it's a quote-unquote tournament. That's why I said that. Well, well, right, but they, they went there not knowing their opponent. And, and you yes. got two teams that <laughs> – that, that flew there and now they're flying back home because of one of the members of the traveling party came down with, with COVID. Um, and, it, you know, San Francisco flies across the country to play in this event, and now they're out and they're heading back home. That's that's such a uh, a 2020 thing to say. Um, you know, we, we do this every year in a normal year, um, but, w- you know, why not do it this year with the opener set to start Friday? And, again, you know, we've got – no show Thursday and Friday because of the Thanksgiving holiday. So we've only got a couple days to, to talk some SU basketball, but we, we generally do this before the season starts, Seth. And that's lay out the things we know, or at least we think we know about a given team and the things that we'd like to know are the questions we still have about a given team. So why don't we start with the things we think we know about Syracuse basketball in 2020, 2021. They have shooting. They have shooting. Uh, Buddy and Joe are uh, great shooters, great shooters, top of the ACC type shooters. And I think Alan Griffin is is there with him as uh, with them as as a good shooter. Uh, so they're going to put up a whole lot of threes again. That that is something that I I can sit here confidently on November twenty fourth and say they're gonna they're gonna toss up a whole bunch of threes. Yeah, and that was essentially the same thing at the top of my list. I just wrote down can score. They, this team can score, and and to your point, they're going to score a lot of threes. Um, but but they can score, and, and I think offensively, this team is going to be just fine. And and you know that leads to a question maybe on the other side of the ball as as we move along here with the show. But things we think we know, I think I know 
that this team is going to be able to score and score a lot and, and be efficient from the three-point line. They, they, you know, you mentioned Joe and Buddy, the addition of Alan Griffin, who, you know, came off the bench and in limited action with Illinois was a 41% three-point shooter. Um, you know, Quincy, we, we saw him take the three at times last year. I don't think Coach loved that shot from him, but with a whole extra year to to improve and, and work on that, is he a guy who can knock down the three? I'm excited to see Kadari Richmond. We've heard so much about this young Me too. kid. Um, about how he's been impressive during the preseason. I'm excited to see what he brings to the table and the skill set that he has. Um, I, I I don't doubt that this team can score. Um, and, it, you know, it used to be that this team won with defense. And I'm not saying this team's going to go out and score 80 points a game, but this team might be able to beat you with an offensive game. You know, even if the other team is hot and makes a lot of threes, Syracuse, this particular squad might be able to match him this year. I think so. I think so. And I think you saw that at times last year, Steve. You saw last year that this team could win games with offense. We talked about that where, um, you know, they were a team that could really put points on the board. And, and you look, you go down the list, there was, you know, games that Buddy was just red hot, games that Joe was red hot, games that Elijah was red hot. And, you know, on, on the, the chance that, you know, they overlapped or that one had a, a great first half and one had a great second half, I think that you you kind of saw that this offense could really explode. What did they? What was the final number against Virginia? I mean, against Virginia, they put up uh, nearly as many points in the overtime period as they did in the second half. You know, we we just saw right. this team as one that could have some real quick burst offense, and I don't think that changes all that much this year. And that's not to say that Alan Griffin is going to be Elijah Hughes. You know, I'm not suggesting that at all, but. You know, he has some skills similar to Elijah Hughes. You know, he's he is a shooter. He is a guy who can score. And so if you're replacing a scorer with a scorer, you're still going to have a high-powered offense. Yeah, and, you know, we had uh, Joe Girard on, on News Channel 9 a couple of weeks ago, and we asked him about what to expect out of Alan Griffin and, and how you replace Elijah Hughes. And I, I thought, you know, his answer was was a good one. Um, you know, he said, listen, it's, it's not up to Alan Griffin to replace Elijah's output all by himself. We collectively will pick up the slack. And I, I think that's the right answer that, you know, yes, Alan Griffin's going to come in and, and he's going to get more minutes than, than he did at Illinois, certainly. And you expect him uh, to help fill the production loss by the departure of Elijah. But Joe's going to be better. Buddy's going to be better. Quincy's going to be better. Marek on down the list. And so you collectively fill the void left by Elijah. So I, I don't think it's it's all on the shoulders of Alan Griffin to do that. Um, you know, certainly you want him to come in and, and make an impact and, and play well. And I, I certainly expect him to come in and, and make an impact. But it's a it's a collective thing for this team. It's not just all on him. Yeah, and look, I mean, I think that um, I think you're going to see an uptick from uh, Buddy Bayheim. I think you're uh, going to see an uptick from Joe Girard as far as scoring. Um, you know, you're not relying on Alan Griffin to score the the 18 to 22 points a game that Elijah Hughes did. You're not relying on on Alan Griffin to be um, to be an All ACC player. You're just not. You know, you need something more out of Marek Dolajai. You need something more out of. Um, out of Quincy Garrier, to be quite honest, like you, you've got to get more out of these guys, and I think that uh, you can look even at the middle. And we'll ask Griff about this, but Barama Sidibe could be a pretty big key to this team. He came on really strong at the end of last year, and if that was real, if that was legit, if that was something that's sustainable, it adds a different dimension to this team because you've got to respect the three-point shooters, and then all of a sudden you'd have somebody down uh, down under the basket who. Um, 
is at least like somewhat of a threat to catch it and dunk it. You're not asking for too much. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that a healthy Barama Sidibe is a difference maker on this team. Unfortunately, I you know, I don't think we can put that under the column of things we know because he he hasn't been fully healthy since he's been here, unfortunately, and, and that's led to some inconsistent play. Um, we both agree they can score. Anything else on your list of things we think we know about this team heading into the to the opener on Friday? Not much. No. Um I, I mean I no. That's that's about it. I I know here's here's one. I know six players who are going to play. I I know well, six. Right. I know I, six I, I put, players. I put on my list uh, depth is not an issue, but it, you know as you just pointed out, um, I don't know how much of that depth we will see. I mean, Jim Beheim has notoriously had a, a short bench, and and we know that, and he he plays seven guys, and he he prefers to play seven guys, and. Um, so I, you know, the thing is though, with injuries and especially this year with with COVID, um, depth will be tested, right? If somebody is knocked out because of a positive test, or somebody's knocked out because of contact tracing, somebody's knocked out with injury, you want to be deep, and and yep. so I do think that that is that it, it's a good year to be deep, but I don't expect us to see you know eight, nine, ten guys on a regular basis, but the seven guys who play. The, the names may change of those seven as the season moves along based on the, the circumstances of COVID and contact tracing and injuries and, and everything going on. So I, I, I think I know that this team's got depth and that they, they do have guys who can fill in, you know, should Barama go down? Can Jesse Edwards go in and take his minutes? Yeah, I, I, I think that that is, is possible. Robert Braswell, he's not going to be a starter, but can he go in if, if Quincy, you know, turns an ankle and he's out for a game or two? Can Robert Braswell give you some minutes? Robert Braswell can give you some minutes. So I, I do think that they have some know. depth. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, realistically, I know that Buddy, Joe, Marek, Alan Griffin, uh, Baramas Sidibe, and Quincy Guerriere are going to play. I know yes. those six are going to play. I mean, that you just look at the team. Like, you know they're going to play. Um, outside of that, I think Kadari Richmond is going to get minutes. Jim Beheim has said Kadari Richmond is going to get minutes. Uh, but who exactly do those minutes come at the expense of? Because Buddy and Joe both played, what, th- uh, probably about 37, 38 minutes a game in ACC play last year, if not more. So who do those minutes come at the expense of? And I don't know the answer to that question. So I'll believe all the minutes that he's going to see when I see him getting those minutes. Um, outside of those seven, I have I have no idea. Like, would I like to see Jesse Edwards as as a guy who can come in, of course I would. Or Frank Anselm, of Jesse course Edwards. I would. No, I, it's just having a backup center. It's just having a backup yeah. center. Jesse Edwards or Frank Anselm, whoever it is. Um, it would be great to see one of those guys get some legit minutes. Um, would you like to see J- Robert Braswell get some minutes or Woody Newton? Yeah, maybe you would, but I don't think that's going to happen. So I know six are going to play. I think a seventh is going to play, and after that, all bets are off. Well, my, my point is, Seth, that you're right. If everybody's healthy, we know the six or seven that are going to play. This year, though, injuries aside, there are other reasons why guys might not be available to play in the game. And so at, at least they have options, I guess, was was my point. Um, you ask where will the minutes come from for Kadari Richmond to get on the floor? It's a great question. Uh, we know in ACC, turn, er, ACC tournament play, but even in ACC regular season play, we know that Coach Beheim's going to 
roll with Gerard and, and Buddy for as long as he can. We saw Buddy play the back of the zone on occasion. Is that something he feels comfortable doing? Is Kadari Richmond the kind of guy, will he play his way into, you know, getting up to 10 minutes a game? I don't know that. I don't think initially he's got to earn the coach's trust. But if he's a guy that you have to get on the floor, um, that would be one way to get him on the floor, potentially, is to put Buddy on the back line. So, Steve, I just looked it up, and quick before we have to take a break, Buddy played 35.6 minutes per game last year. Joe played 33 minutes per game, and that number was high. That number had to have been higher during ACC play. Yeah, for that's, both 12, that's 12 minutes. Yeah, so that's 12 minutes between the two of them. Right. So if they're off the floor, you know, is, is Kadari getting 10 minutes a game? Um, and, again, I don't think initially he's getting 10 minutes a game. Can he build his way up to that and, and get earn the trust of the coaches? Yeah, that can happen. And maybe he does get 10 minutes a game uh, by the end of the season. We've got to take a timeout, 315-437-7644. Alan Griffin, the assistant coach, set to join us in about 10 minutes. Back after this on ESPN Radio. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. Live from Armory Square, this is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Hour number two of Orange Nation underway on ESPN Radio. Phone lines open all of hour number two at 315 315- Four three seven seventy six forty four, and uh, um, since we're talking football, I know you you said that you had a chance to to watch uh, the Orange Nation television show uh, last night on News Channel Nine, as we do every week. Julian Wiggum uh, appeared on the show, and and I, I love Julian's analysis, uh, Seth, because I I think that he's just he's honest, um, and he he calls it like he sees it. Um, and so, you know, we asked him several questions. We asked him for his thoughts on Sterling Gilbert. We asked for his thoughts on Tony White. Um, we asked for his thoughts on Jacoby and Morgan and and what went wrong on Friday. So let's let's start there with the freshman quarterback. Um, here's Julian Wiggum on what went wrong from an offensive perspective against Louisville on Friday. Boston College showed their blitzes, right? So he could see it. And when it came, it was like, all right, I'll just move to my left or move to my right. And, you know, you can make some plays like that way, right? But then Louisville came, and that's the beauty of college football. You know, Louisville came along. They said, oh, well, we're going to show you where we're coming from, but then we're going to back out of it. Now what are you going to do? And that adjustment is difficult because when you're seeing pressure and making changes across the line, maybe checking the ball with your receivers, now all of a sudden, wait, I thought pressure was coming. It was going to be a man defense. All of a sudden, they got defensive linemen playing in a zone, and their corners are deep at like that. That's hard on the quarterback, and all of a sudden, you don't have that much time. That's how your interceptions are thrown. That's how you have to eat the ball. That's how you take sacks. That's how you get hurt. You know, so uh, Louisville, like I said, despite being a two and seventeen, they did things that fluster a young quarterback effectively, and that's what we saw. That's how Syracuse's offense got shut down, and that produced that that goose egg on the scoreboard. And I think that that's where the the week of preparation comes in, Seth. And we we talked about that, right? That Jacoby and Morgan was effective against Wake Forest on the one drive. Then he was pretty effective in his one start against Boston College. And we said that that now there's tape out there. You know, he's going to get better over the course of the bye week. He's got an extra week to prepare for Louisville, but Louisville's going to be better prepared to handle him because there's tape out there now. And the Cardinals coaching staff looks at it and they say, okay, he can handle this, but maybe he can't handle this. So to Julian's point, while BC was showing blitz and then coming, 
Louisville was showing blitz and then decided to drop back into coverage. It confused the young man, and and we saw what happened. And again, not all on him, certainly at all, but I, I thought that that was a, a good observation from Julian uh, with the way that, that Louisville attacked this game and attacked the game plan. Yeah, and it wasn't unexpected. I mean, like you said, we kind of talked about that last week where um, it may it would make sense for them to all of a sudden show up and uh, play differently to, to show up and um, try and disguise blitzes to try and confuse Jacoby and Morgan. You have a, a week of, of, of game film on him now. See what he does well. See maybe what he doesn't do so well. And now you can really game plan against it. You know, Boston College didn't have that ability. Boston College didn't have the chance to game plan for Jacoby and Morgan because they got one drive against nothing defense. Louisville had that opportunity. Okay, so now how, if Jacoby and Morgan is going to start again on Saturday, which we don't know, how do you make him uh, more comfortable against some of those things? How do you adjust so that, you know, maybe you're you're more comfortable handling blitzes or you can read defenses better? I don't know the answer to that, but um, I think that that's probably the next thing that you've got to figure out if you're the Syracuse coaching staff. All right, so we we moved on to bigger picture stuff with Julian. We asked him about the two coordinators, the two new coordinators, Sterling Gilbert with the offense, Tony White on the defense. Uh, let's let's start by getting his thoughts on on Sterling Gilbert and uh, and the assessment of the job that that he's done this year. Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of both. I mean, we we they didn't have one a spring or a summer, right? And I think those are major install periods for a coach, right? And when you don't have that, especially uh, on the offensive side of the ball or defensive side of the ball, both sides, really, uh, it, it's going to be difficult for you to, as a player to take in the offense and do new things, right? So that's why we're seeing so many different struggles across, across especially across the offensive side of the ball. You know, it, it's, it's one of those things where guys have to get reps early on in the season. And then when you're in season, you start off with a very limited playbook. And when you're struggling with that, because you have young players, it's hard to put in new things, right? So I think that's contributed to you got young guys who are trying to take in a lot of information quickly, and that's something you don't want to do. And then on top of that, you didn't have much of a period to install, so you're working with a limited playbook anyway. So that, that's what makes things difficult when you're on the offensive side of the ball like that. It's, it's, you don't have much preparation time in the offensive side. Like You've got to have you know, the, the details down to be successful. We've heard that adjective quite a bit this year, Seth. The the word limited. Um, the off season was limited. The playbook has been limited. It's led to you know limited creativity, um, and so it it does feel like Sterling Gilbert gets an incomplete this year when you when you look at grades. And I know some people might not be happy about that. Um, Listen, I think it could be be better. We, we we talked yesterday about the lack of creativity, and you know you pointed out, and we had a caller point out, what do you have to lose? Like, what? Why not? Um, so I I share in those struggles. I share in those frustrations. Um, you know, I I I get that point about well, you got nothing to lose. Why not be a little more creative? I also get the point of they're young. They've been limited from day one. Now they're down to their third string quarterback. They're down to like their sixth string running back who actually turned out to be really, really good. Um, you know, and and they're limited. And and so I, I think Sterling Gilbert probably gets a, an incomplete this year for his grade. 
I mean, yes and no. Um, he's coming in and running the same system as Dino Babers. The thing is that he he can't do what he wants. He couldn't maybe put the wrinkles in. And I thought that Stephen Bailey explained this really well um, when we talked about it yesterday. And and that Julian, it, it fits in with Julian's point here that you know you don't have the off season to do what you want to do. Um, you know, if you're looking at other coaches around the country. They have no choice. You know, when they're brought in, for the most part, they had no choice but to install and run with what they do. Um, You know, just for example, take Boston College. Boston College, when Jeff Halfley came in, had to do what they did, right? Because Jeff Halfley did not have somebody there who was running Steve Adazio's offense, did not care about Steve Adazio's offense, and did not care if, you know, that was what people were comfortable with. He wanted to get his system in. So he had no choice and you had to adjust realistically, and I'd imagine the Boston College offense you see this year is a fraction of the Boston College offense that you'll see next year and the year after. And when they finally get, you know, full spring and summer practice to implement their whole offense, the difference is that Sterling Gilbert was coming in and wanted to install his wrinkles, wanted to install the things that he he was able to do. And when you have those limited practices, instead of installing that, you say, eh, close enough. Right, like close enough. We're we're doing basically what we want. So let's just do what you guys did last year. And what they did last year was awful and like didn't get the job done. And now you're seeing this year that it's not getting the job done and it's with somebody else. You kind of took the approach of, okay, well, we don't have time for it. So for now, let's do this. Um, but it's just not working. Yeah, I, I I do wonder. That's why I say it's an incomplete. I do wonder how much of what we're seeing is what he truly wants to do and how much of it was, is, you know, to your point, Seth, close enough. You know, we haven't been able to install this, this, and this. Well, you know, we'll just have to get by for right now. We'll have to make do. Um, and it got worse throughout the season as you started to lose guys, namely, you know, your your quarterbacks. Just a point about BC. And and it's a valid point you bring up that they – they had to make the switch. They had to install their stuff. It's not like they're setting the world on fire from an offensive perspective. I mean, they've only gotten to 30 points twice right? Um, all season long. A lot of games in the 20s, a lot of games in the teens. Um, it's not like they're setting the world on fire on offense. I'd kill um, for a game in the 20s they, right now, Steve. Understood. <laughs> understood. You've also got a, a transfer quarterback from Notre Dame, which that makes a difference as well. Um, so, valid point. I, I understand mean, where you're coming from. Sy- but Syracuse had a guy who was in the program for three years. <laughs> like, this is true. I don't know what. What would you rather have? A transfer from Notre Dame or a four-star recruit well, who's in year? Wait, it's not even year three. It's year. It's year four. It's year four in the program. Well, who would I rather have? I mean, based on what I've seen, I would rather have the transfer quarterback from Notre Dame. Right, but I, I mean, point being, you're talking about somebody year four in the system, or you know, a transfer. Yeah, with no, no offseason. I, I understand. But theoretically, you're changing the system, right? I mean, theoretically, you're you're installing your own wrinkles, and so it is a little bit of a new – I'd rather the, the guy with, with more talent. I'd prefer the guy that, that went to Notre Dame. Uh, in any event, let's get a, a phone call in here, 315-437-7644. Pat in Syracuse wants to check in on SU football. Hey, Pat. Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, so something that I want to point out that I think and Dino alluded to it a little bit was he's a, uh, Jacoby is still very raw. There's no question about it. He looked like a freshman the other day, but he has a great foundation. He's got to be someone that they can mold and continue to help grow. There's no question about that. Maybe like 
if you bring in that Mississippi State transfer quarterback, you can sit behind him for a year and continue to learn and continue to grow and get snaps. That's all good and all, but he definitely needs to grow. But they, that offense did not do him any favors. Like those experienced guys, like the, the upperclassmen did not do him any favors by helping him out and trying to bail him out. Like Aaron Service, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but Aaron Service, man, he is whew, awful this year. I don't know what's going on with him, but he is he is getting beat and he's getting beat bad and they, those are guys that you've got to rely on when you get a guy in that, that is a, a freshman guy that has trouble re- making these reads and the other thing I wanted to point out too real quick was uh, I was looking at the transfer portal. There are a lot of big boy offensive linemen that are fr- from power five programs out there and, I, and I'm sure they're t- trying to target them. I'm not like I'm sure. I'm sure they are, but there are some big boys. And in in, uh, something else I pointed saw that that they had a couple of wide, uh, Mississippi State wide receivers. That'd be great if if Syracuse could get one. There's a four-star wide receiver from Mississippi State. That'd be great if they could get that uh, transfer quarterback to go along with, and have them have one of those four-star wide receivers follow him down here too. And then they have like a duo there, and then get a couple offensive linemen. Mean, all of a sudden, maybe look at a different roster changeover. Yeah, appreciate you checking in, Pat. And and listen, Seth, Pat brings up the offensive line, and I guess that that's where I'm coming from with Sterling Gilbert. Is that listen, the the offense has been unacceptable. Like the 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 production that the offense uh, has had, especially of late, it's it's unacceptable. I guess when I look at how much of it is Sterling Gilbert to blame. You go back to the offensive line. It, that's not his offensive line. Like he came in, he that's the offensive line he had to work with. Um, you know, the, these are the pieces he had to work with. And it, listen, it's hard to run a functional offense when that's your offensive line. When your quarterback is getting sacked more than anyone in the country over the course of two seasons. Um, so I guess that's where I, and it may sound like an excuse, and I guess to some degree it is, but he's he's got to work with the pieces that he has. He came in here. And it's, it's hard to run a, a system, and it's hard to run an offense, and it's hard to be functional when you don't have time to install it, number one. But to compound it, and maybe even more importantly, you don't have the offensive line to protect the quarterback. And then, you know, the quarterback, as a result, can't make plays. And now, you know, you get a couple of them hurt, and now you're down to your third-string quarterback who's a true freshman, and now you're in a whole lot of trouble. So, I yeah. guess I just don't know how much you blame Sterling Gilbert. No, you're – you're at, I, I – I understand where you're coming from because I I think I've I've been right there with you uh, on the offensive line for the last year. I mean, for the last year and a half. Like that offensive line is dreadful and it has been now for for two seasons and it's just been horrible and um you know, last year Aaron Service was was moved around and did a pretty good job I think in both positions. I think he was the only person on the line last year that you can really say like did a good job, but you know, to Pat's point, he struggled this year. He struggled a lot this year. And, you know, that's an issue. When your senior tackle isn't doing the job, you know, it's it's hard to to get around that. Uh, Matthew Bergeron has been okay this year. Like, I don't know that he's been as good as he was at the end of last season. You know, obviously you're starting a fullback in, in Chris Elmore at guard, and uh, Chris Elmore guards uh, – uh, grades out as your best offensive lineman this year. I think I think that that says everything you need to know about this Syracuse offensive line. The person who grades out as their best offensive lineman was a fullback as of July. I yeah. mean, just think about that. Yeah, that says a lot. 
It says a lot. Um, all right, just to bring this conversation full circle, we talked about Sterling Gilbert, the offensive coordinator. Let's get Julian's thoughts uh, quickly here on Tony White, the defensive coordinator. Yeah, so I think he started off great. One, defenses are always ahead of offenses for those reasons I explained. They don't have to uh, be as prepared. They're reacting, right? So if you don't give them very much, you know, they're, they're just going, right? And I think that we saw that out of the 3 early on in the season. They were playing really well, lots of turnovers. Uh, but the secondary, which we talked about, we thought that was going to be the strength of this defense. Uh, I think they, they've held true all year long, mixing up coverages on the back and allowing their uh, playmakers to uh, go ahead and attack the ball. Uh, the defensive line is struggling. The defensive, uh, those linebackers are so struggling. So the blitz pressure isn't quite there. And I think that's an effect of not having an offseason, not being able to quite have the install they, they've had. But as in turn, from the secondary perspective and watching those guys play, I think that they've been able to move around and do it as best as they can, really, as a defense. And as a whole, I give them about a B grade. They've been playing good football. Obviously, the offense hasn't been there. They're getting tired when you're out there more than your offense, you know, 100% of the snaps. Uh, it's going to be hard. But I think so as a defense, as a unit, they play really well. Yeah, the BC game, I thought they played well. For, the, for most of the first half against Louisville, they played well. And, and then they were on the field for 42 minutes in that game against the Cardinals. You can't expect your defense to to hold up uh, over the course of, of 42 minutes. All right, we got to take another timeout. I know we're, we're up against the clock. 315-437-7644. We'll roll things along right after this on ESPN Radio. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. Our take on the day's top stories. It's today's business on Orange Nation. All right, Stephen Seth back with you on a Tuesday edition of Orange Nation as we get to today's business. What do you have for us this afternoon, Seth? All right, Steve, let's uh, let's start here. I thought this was a really interesting story that, that came out yesterday morning, and I just wanted to bring it up. But uh, apparently the Pope met with NBA players. Uh, that was not a headline that I was expecting to see when I woke up at any point. But uh, that was a headline yesterday. He met with uh, NBA players and spoke about um, apparently the social justice causes that players have uh, have kind of taken uh, taken the mantle and taken the lead on. I, I did not see this. Where did this meeting take place? Um, let me pull up the story. But I think it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was a story that came out yesterday. Um, or is the or is the Pope on Zoom? Was this like a No, no, no. Like it was call? it was in person. The Pope Okay, the really? Pope hosted NBA players. They were in the Vatican. Um Really? An unprecedented meeting in an unprecedented meeting, a delegation of five NBA players and several officials from the NBA Players Association met with Pope Francis at the Vatican Monday morning for a private audience to discuss their work on social justice. Kyle Korver, Sterling Brown, Jonathan Isaacs, Anthony Tolliver Marco Bellinelli and Players uh, Players Association Executive Director Michelle Roberts were in the meeting. I know Michelle Roberts. She uh, she used to be a part of that Sportscaster U program. There she, you go. Uh, she was one of the uh, one of the people that helped organize it uh, through the Players Association. Well, that I mean that's that's fascinating. I had I had not heard about this uh, yeah. yesterday. I mean, I think it's a fascinating. I like I, I again, like I said, like I was not expecting to see. NBA players meet with the Pope, um, you know, as as you know, a headline when when I woke up yesterday, and and yet I I opened ESPN and it was the first headline that hit me like that. Th I think it kind of goes to show like 
these guys are trying to do something. They're not just, uh, you know, standing up and and sitting out of games for the sake of sitting out of games. They want to make change, and and this is their way of doing it. They're using their platform, using their voice. I mean, you heard LeBron James uh, say after the season that he was ready to walk away. He was ready to leave the bubble, um, and that Barack Obama, among others, helped uh, talk him out of it. But it, that's how important it was to him. Um, he was ready to uh, to walk away and and end the season, and uh, and and fortunately that didn't happen. Um, but but you're right. It, it, this isn't just lip service. Like the players legitimately want some changes to be made, and they're they're doing their part to to make those changes. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, moving on, Steve. Uh, Joe Burrow, uh, the injury on Sunday. It was reported yesterday a torn ACL, MCL and other knee damage. So this is not a a clean injury there for Burrow. Uh, Cutting short what was a great and potentially record-setting rookie campaign for a quarterback. And, you know, now who knows how long he's out and and what he'll be when he comes back. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly devastating news for him. And, you know, it was a promising rookie campaign that the Bengals didn't win as many games as I'm sure he would have liked. Um, But, you know, he showed some some signs of promise and, and you know, some encouraging signs with his play. And it, it is it's a it's a devastating injury and it's it's unfortunate. And listen, that's 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 part of the price you pay for for playing the sport of football. You know, it's a dangerous game. And unfortunately, some serious injuries occur. And, and Joe Burrow now has got to got to fight his way back. Yeah, no question about it. And it'll certainly be a long road back um, for Joe Burrow. And you hope that he's able to make it. You hope that he's. Um, you know, able to come back because so far he's been he's been great uh, in the NFL. Uh, one more to get to, uh, at least one more to get to. But uh, the ACC announced today, Steve, that the uh, the ACC tournament will not be played in Washington D.C. this year. It will be played instead in Greensboro, North Carolina. Yeah, I saw that. Um, and they're just flip-flopping dates. I believe they gave D.C. the, the 2024 ACC tournament. Um, you know, Coach Bayham's not going to be too pleased, I, I guess, uh, the, the fact that it's back in Greensboro this year. Uh, we should point out in terms of scheduling, uh, there is a, a start time now for the Syracuse-Rutgers game in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. That's going to be a, a late night uh, on a Tuesday night in December. December 8th, uh, it's a 9.30 tip on ESPN2, that Syracuse Rutgers game. So uh, you're right, a few uh, scheduling announcements uh, made today. Uh, but, yeah, they're going to go back to D.C. They're just not doing the D.C. thing this year. Yeah, I'm frantically searching for the no value in playing in Greensboro bite, and I can't find it. This is very disappointing. I regret this. but That should be at your fingertips it, at all times. It, it really should. It really should. I, I apologize for not being able to find this on command. But, I, I mean, I think that um, – you know, you look at you look at this, and and like I guess it makes sense because you're talking about uh, Greensboro, who lost the tournament last year, um, you know, and and lost out on everything that comes with it, and also you're you're able to uh, kind of keep it close to home. You know, ACC co- uh, headquarters is down in Greensboro, so for this year, like I guess it makes sense. Um, I'm somebody who sides with Jim Beheim on this argument, by the way, where I don't think there's all that much that comes out of playing in Greensboro other than the history and the tradition. And, you know, who, who are we, the newcomers, to come in and say, abandon all your tradition? Uh, but at the same time, there's so much more benefit to playing in Charlotte, to playing in Atlanta, to playing in Washington, D.C., and, yes, to playing in New York City. 
Yeah, I'm with you. You're not going to get an argument uh, from me. I'm, I'm certainly an old school Big East guy. I miss the Garden. I know they're bringing it to Brooklyn here. Um, it's not the same. You know, and it, it, it's it, right, and it's certainly not the same in Greensboro. Like if you want to play, if you want to rotate and play it in big cities, that's great. Um, but I, I'm with Coach on this one. I, I'm not a not a big fan of Greensboro, like, North Carolina. I I really liked the rotation that they had set up, Steve, where it was like two years here, two years here, two years here. Okay, yeah. two and then two years in North Carolina, right? So you still right. get one year where it's in Charlotte, and then you get your one year in Greensboro. So Greensboro is right. still there. North Carolina is still there, but you got to play this thing in cities. You got to play this thing in big cities, and. You know, the, the old school ACC people can complain about how you can't go fishing in the Hudson River and how, you know, it's it's not the same because nobody here cares. That's fine. Play the tournament in cities. No argument from me. I'm, I'm with you on that. 315-437-7644. got to take our final time out on the show. We'll wrap things up right after this on ESPN Radio.